Hey guys, I'm back. Let me just tell you that I had no intention of being out of the game for so long. I haven't posted since like June. I have not only missed producing this show, but I've missed interacting with you guys so much. I'm so glad to be back dropping this surprise episode on this super chilly Halloween weekend, and I'm sure it's going to be a super chilly morning wherever you're listening right now. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all of the messages. Thank you for reaching out and basically making sure that I'm alive. I am. I did take a break with the intention of spending the summer with my son, getting ahead on the show, you know, kind of ironing out and figuring out what direction the show would go in after all of the changes. And you guys, it's going to be great. We have a whole new team and we just have one common goal. And that is to make those Murder Girls podcast one of the biggest and best shows with your guys's help. And I am so excited about it, you guys. The podcast meetings we've been having are so exciting. I wish we could record them. I mean, we totally can, but we haven't. But I want you guys to know like what it takes to like produce a show and watch the behind the scenes and feel our passion. And I just hope since you guys aren't in those meetings that our passion really does resonate with you guys over each of these podcast episodes. So more on those Murder Girls podcast 2.0 later. But for now, let's get on to today's case. Okay, so does the name Robert Clark O'Brien mean anything to you guys? Probably not. But what about the name Candyman? The trick-or-treat murderer or the man who killed Halloween? Okay, still nothing? My Texans? Are any of these names sounding familiar to you? Okay, still nothing? Well, if the name means nothing to you right now, by the end of this episode, you're probably going to wish you can go back and unhear everything that I'm about to share with you because this episode is full of the lowest lows and it is still talked about 50 years later, well, almost 50 years later, as if it just happened yesterday. So it was on this day, 1974, 48 years ago, that Robert O'Brien and his kids, eight-year-old Timothy and Elizabeth, who was five, were looking forward to a chilly evening trick-or-treating with their dad and their family friends, Jim, and his two children, Mark and Kimberly, in the city of Deerbrook, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. The unexpected rain that night didn't stop the dads from taking their little ones out. I mean, come on, it's Halloween. Timothy had not stopped talking about his Planet of the Apes costume, and Elizabeth was so excited to show off her princess costume. Can you guys imagine canceling Halloween on little kids? I mean, I'd rather be dragging my feet up and down the streets, soaking wet, in the pouring rain than having to deal with the wrath of children who just had Halloween canceled on them while their sugar levels are dropping to a dangerous low. So once the sun went down, the kids and the dads were off. 
the kids excitingly like ran down the street door to door of their well-manicured middle-class neighborhood, giving their best trick-or-treats every time the door opened as they happily watched handfuls of candy just being dumped into their bags before running off to the next house to do it all over again. So typically we know as adults to only knock on the doors of the houses whose lights are on. But when you're living your best life and you're like eight and five years old, lights on or off, you are knocking at that door. It is Halloween. We are banging that door down regardless of what our parents just got done telling us a hundred times before we left home costume ready. So the O'Brien kids along with the Bates who were running up and down the street all night together only waited at the door of a house that was pitch black for a few seconds after knocking. And then they took off sprinting to the next house who was in full Halloween mode. Lights were on, pumpkins were carved, the candy was flowing. The dark house was worth a shot, but they were not investing too much time into it. So as the kids collected their candy from the next house, Timothy and Elizabeth hear their dad call their names out. So all four kids turn back around to Ronald, who they see waving a handful of giant pixie sticks in the air. The kids were like super excited. The night just kept getting better. The sticks were huge, especially when you're five and eight years old. So the kids are like all about them. The pixie sticks were those like super tall ones that are maybe like 20, 21 inches long. So the kids were like, heck yeah, we hit the jackpot, full-size candy, like what every kid hopes to score on Halloween night. So Ronald handed over four pixie sticks to the kids and to their friends and tells them like, you guys ran off way too quick from that dark house back there. Someone answered the door as soon as you guys ran off. And handed me this handful of pixie sticks. Like, how cool is that? You guys almost missed out on these ginormous candies. So the kids' faces light up brighter than the brightest jack-o'-lantern that night. And I know you guys can see it. I mean, we were all excited for the full-size candies. We all knew what neighborhood to go to. We all know what house was passing them out the year before. And if they didn't pass them out that year... We might have to smash our pumpkins. Just kidding. Since the weather that night wasn't exactly cooperating with these two families, they didn't stay out for very long. Like they would have stayed out for way longer, but they ended up heading back home to go through their candy and sort and do their trades after only walking through two of their neighborhood streets. So on the way back home, Ronald and the kids run into this little boy from their church. And they all immediately recognize each other. So, you know, Ronald says hi, and then he offers the kid the fifth pixie stick from that dark house back there. So the little boy's super, like, wide-eyed. He says, thank you. He's so excited. And, you know, Ronald smiles, and the little boy runs off to do more trick-or-treating. And Ronald and the kids, you know, they continue on home. So little Timothy was so amped up when they got back home. You guys all know that like post trick or treat feeling when you can't go to bed. All you can think about is your candy. You're super stoked. So he asks his dad if he can have one more piece of candy before he goes to bed. Like he cannot wait until morning. And he ends up picking the pixie stick after his dad's like, yeah, sure. Like, what do you want? And from there, it would be only minutes before all of the excitement of spooky season would vanish. 
Ronald had to help Timothy pop open the pixie stick because the staple that was sealing the tube shut at the top was just not budging for Timothy. Inside of that tube, the powdery candy was actually like clumped and packed inside. So again, Timothy had to rely on his dad to help him break up the clumps before he was able to have a taste of the candy. At the exact moment that Timothy poured the candy from the tube into his mouth, he shuddered at the nasty taste of what should have actually been really good fruity candy inside. So Ronald reaches over and he grabs Timothy a glass of Kool-Aid so he can wash down the candy. And as soon as Timothy is able to talk, he starts complaining about how awful and bitter the candy was. Timothy went on complaining about the taste as he held his stomach like he instantly didn't feel good. And he's telling his dad like, oh my gosh, like my stomach hurts so bad. And he ends up running to the bathroom where he starts vomiting and convulsing uncontrollably. So the paramedics are called and Ronald is on the floor with his son Timothy in the bathroom as Timothy lives out the last minutes of his time on earth in the arms of his loving father. Hospital staff and police are terrified at the fact that the pixie stick that Timothy had just gotten from a neighbor was more than likely tainted. It's like every parent's worst Halloween nightmare. What happened to Timothy was unlike anything any of them had ever seen for themselves. They were like, oh my God, this kid just died from candy given to him while he was out trick-or-treating. And when word of this got back to that Texas neighborhood, everybody flew into a panic. They could not believe it. The first thing that authorities knew that they needed to do was to find those other four pixie sticks. Two of them were still with the Bates kids. Timothy's little sister, Elizabeth, still had hers and it was unopened. And the other one was retrieved from the little boy's house that they ran into from their church. This part is so crazy. So that little boy from church, he had taken his pixie stick to bed with him and he was trying to pop that staple off the top, but was unable to ends up falling asleep with the pixie stick like gripped in his hand. He never had a taste of what was inside and thank God because he literally could have died in his sleep and his parents wouldn't have known any better until the next morning. How terrifying is that? So thank God that all four pixie sticks were retrieved before any other people were harmed in this whole mess. So as the medical examiner got to work on Timothy's autopsy, so did the police interviewing the neighbors along those two streets that the kids had been on on Halloween night. Over the course of their investigation, police would desperately try to corroborate Ronald's accounts of that Halloween evening in 1974. No matter how many neighborhood residents police spoke to, though, some of them, even speaking to them more than once, they could not verify any of Ronald's firsthand accounts of that night. If anything, the more they looked outside of the O'Brien home and into the homes of the neighbors, the more that they were drawn back into the O'Brien's direction. None of the residents within the blocks that the O'Brien and Bates walked that night Nobody even passed out pixie sticks, knew anybody who passed out pixie sticks, and none of the kids in that neighborhood even had pixie sticks in their bags. 
Police question Ronald over and over and over again. Are you sure these are the only two streets? Are you sure this is the dark house that you and the kids visited on Halloween night? Are you sure all the lights were out? Are you sure this is where the Pixie Six came from? Yes, Ronald repeats for the millionth time. And then he repeats his story. The kids knocked at this door. All the lights were out. The kids ran off. I see a man answer the door just as the kids leave. And as I peer into the doorway, I see a man's hairy arm extend out of the door holding the five pixie sticks. So I grab them and then I pass them out to the kids just like I keep telling you guys. And so the cops were like, and you didn't get a look at the person? He's like, nope, never seen the person's face. All I seen was a hairy arm handing me the candy. And so the police are like, huh, you know, that's really weird. It's 1974. They're trying to believe this guy. And for the most part, at this point, they don't have any reason not to really believe him. So I guess they're just giving him like the benefit of the doubt. So little Timmy's autopsy comes back. And the results sent a shockwave not only through Texas, but across the United States because Timothy did die from tainted Halloween candy. The exact cause of death was him ingesting a lethal amount of potassium cyanide. So much cyanide that it could have killed two full-grown adults. And poor Timothy is like, you know, probably what, like 75 pounds So Houston, Texas flew into an absolute panic once again. Every parent's worst nightmare was confirmed. A stranger used candy to poison an innocent trick-or-treater. So once again, everyone is going through their kids' candy, making sure that there are no pixie sticks, Some of them are like grabbing all of their bags, just throwing them in the trash. Others were so concerned that they took all of their candy to the police to be thoroughly examined, like physically tested and to be put through x-ray machines because they wanted to know like, could it be something else other than the Pixie Six? Nobody was taking any chances. I mean, if you were in that neighborhood, you probably wouldn't either. So it's just, it's so crazy. It didn't take long for police to realize once they collected all of those pixie sticks that they had been tampered with. Approximately two inches of the sugary pixie stick powder from each of those five tubes was poured out and replaced with cyanide and then stapled shut and handed over to those kids Halloween night. So if you guys know what those pixie sticks look like, I'm pretty sure you do. They don't have a freaking staple at the top or at the bottom. Those pixie sticks are made of plastic tubes and they're sealed with a heat press that like crimps it shut, like melts it and crimps it shut, kind of like a seal of the top of a bag of chips. When the professionals had these pixie sticks in their hands, they knew exactly where to start knowing that those staples were out of place. A lot about Ronald O'Brien came to light during the police investigation, and it pretty much all started and ended with the O'Brien family finances, including the fact that Ronald had had a tough time keeping a steady cash flow. Over the course of 10 years, Ronald O'Brien held 21 jobs. That's like starting a new job every five months, and I can't even fathom that. And not only that, but he was about to be fired from his current employer for allegedly stealing cash. 
So the police learned that this picture-perfect father and husband was in a shitload of debt. Like, he owed over $100,000, which is over half a million dollars back in 1974. And that might not even seem like it's that much for, like, a married couple who owns their home. But when you're only bringing in $150 a week, you're barely able to keep your family afloat paycheck to paycheck, let alone be paying off like all of this debt that you owe. So no one around him knew about any of this at the time. They had no idea that they were facing financial issues. They had no idea that Ronald was missing car payments, that his car was on the verge of being repoed, the house was going to be foreclosed on. And like I mentioned a minute ago, he's also about to get let go from his job for stealing money. But I'm like, you were stealing money. Why weren't you paying your freaking bills, dude? Like, what were you doing with it? So police are finally able to get a hold of Mr. Melvin. He is the owner of the house that was pitch black on the night of Halloween that Ronald said he got the pixie sticks from. Mr. Melvin is persistent in his story. He is maintaining his innocence. He was not even home at the time that the trick-or-treaters were roaming the neighborhood. He didn't get home until 1130 that night, and that was well after all of the kids were inside. And Mr. Melvin had a ton of coworkers that said, yeah, you know, he worked his shift. He didn't leave until 1130. Like, he was not home. It was not his hairy arm that handed Ronald five tainted pixie sticks. So again, the police get nowhere in their interview with yet another neighbor. And not only any other neighbor, but this resident would have been their prime suspect because Ronald said, you know, the man that lives at this house handed me the tainted pixie sticks. So police continue to break down Ronald's picture perfect life brick by brick. And they come upon something super disturbing. Ronald, you know, the man who hardly has enough money to like keep his house, keep his cars, probably is barely putting food on the table, was spending a sizable amount of cash on recently purchased insurance policies, which might not seem too out of place. He's an adult. He's adulting, making sure all of his affairs are in order. But these policies were only in the name of his two children, And he continues to up the policy amount. So a few months prior to Timothy's death, Ronald had taken out two $10,000 policies, one on Timothy and one on Elizabeth. Then he increased those $10,000 policies to $30,000 just a month before little Timmy died. And just a few days prior to Timmy ingesting that tainted candy, he actually bumped the policy up to $50,000 per kid. So in the investigation, like I said, police just cannot move on from the O'Briens. And as they're investigating these policies, they learn that this mf Ronald called the insurance policy to cash out on Timothy's death literally hours after Timothy passed away. That's a little sus. Am I right, people? So those who knew Ronald and the O'Brien family literally could not believe any of these developments. Ronald was not the overspending, high-strung man with a short fuse who would ever harm his children. No, no, no. 
Ronald was the deacon at the First Baptist Church who sang in the choir. And can anybody tell me any church-going, Bible-thumping man who has ever committed the ultimate sin? (laughs) So colleagues and clients of Ronald were also spoken to by the police. And one client who was actually a chemical supply man, he came forward and said that Ronald had actually been asking him about potassium cyanide, where he could buy it, and how much it would take to kill a person. And apparently this man didn't think that that was suspicious enough for him to report. Ronald makes his little way over to a chemical supply store, but ends up leaving empty-handed when he's told that the smallest container of cyanide that he could purchase at the store was five pounds. Around this time, friends and coworkers had heard him actually bragging about how his shitty financial situation, like whatever that meant to them, was about to turn around. Everybody was like, what is he talking about? Like whatever. And they just kind of blew it off. But on Halloween night, I guess he was acting super, super off. And this was witnessed by multiple people. The always pleasant Ronald, the happy-go-lucky guy, was super edgy, and there were, like, kids around, and he was super jumpy. So at one point, he flew across the table when a neighborhood kid had grabbed the pixie stick that belonged to Timothy. I don't know if it was in Timothy's bag or if it was just, like, laying on the table, but the kid had picked it up, and Ronald, like, flew over the table to grab it out of this kid's hand people noticed but they were just like kind of like oh you know that was weird Ronald just wasn't this guy and so them witnessing these behaviors they saw it they're like oh that's weird Ronald's this nice guy he's super likable he's a really nice family man they kind of just ignored it Timothy's mom Danae said that on Halloween night she had heard Timothy ask for candy before bed and Timothy did not ask for the pixie stick she heard him ask specifically for a lollipop but Ronald had told him no you know you have to go to bed you don't have time for a lollipop if you have time for anything it's going to be the pixie stick or nothing Timothy wanted the candy so he's like okay well you know I'll take the pixie stick and as soon as Ronald popped it open for him you know we all know what happens At Little Timothy's funeral, Ronald sang and he praised Timothy for now being in a better place. He was overheard talking about how after all of this was over, he was going to end up taking a long vacation. What a careless idiot. You're talking about vacationing when you should actually be mourning? Like, where is the respect for your dead kid? I don't understand this guy. In the investigation, a strip of adding machine tape, you know, the electronic like calculators, old school that people used to use, was found inside the O'Brien's house and it listed out the dollar amounts of all of the family's debt. And the family's debt added up to almost exactly what Timothy's life insurance payout was going to be. So with all of this weird behavior, Ronald's story about Halloween night that just didn't make any sense, these policies that he had taken out that he kept upping, authorities were like, enough is enough. And they arrested his ass on November 5th, 1974. Ronald was charged with one count of capital murder for the death of his son, Timothy, and four counts of attempted murder for each of the children who he had carelessly shared the tainted pixie sticks with. 
Authorities were never able to determine where the cyanide used to fill those sticks came from, but the prosecution knew that they had a strong circumstantial case. And they knew that they had to go hard against Ronald because he was maintaining his innocence. But his actions leading up to Halloween, his actions after Halloween, the prosecution was certain that they had a case against him that could potentially put him away forever. A jury deliberated for 45 minutes on Ronald's fate, and on June 3, 1975, they turned over their decision to the judge, finding him guilty on all counts. Ronald had used those tainted pixie sticks to cash out on his children's lives. He would have gotten $100,000 if both children had ingested the candy. Unfortunately for Timothy, Ronald only had a short window to get the kids to eat the pixie sticks. And so he only had that chance with Timothy that night, which is just obviously the unthinkable. I don't even know how he could have sat there on the bed knowing that he was watching his child eat candy that would kill him within minutes. The prosecution said that Ronald had a long coat on that night and he had been carrying those tainted pixie sticks up the sleeve of that coat while the kids trick-or-treated and used the opportunity of that dark house, Mr. Melvin's house, to bring the pixie sticks out of his sleeve, wave them to the children, get them so excited and pass them out to each of them knowing that Potentially all of the kids were going to die, but that was his plan. He wanted it to look like tainted candy had killed all of these kids. He was sacrificing not only his kids, but his friend's children for his own greed. So Ronald and his attorneys would go on to exhaust all of their appeals throughout the years, postponing his execution date multiple times. During one of his appeals, the judge just hated him so much for what he had done. He said that he would personally drive Ronald to the execution chamber for his next death date. That is some hate, but I would have offered the same thing. One of the death dates that he was able to dodge was October 31st, the anniversary of Timothy's death. His final execution date would come March 31st, 1984. This day came way too fast for Ronald. He did not want to be the first person to be executed by lethal injection in the state of Texas, but it didn't come fast enough for those in support of his sentence. Supporters and protesters gathered outside the grounds of the execution chamber, some cheering for Ronald's upcoming fate while others were up in arms protesting the big show. When the announcement came from inside the execution chamber that Ronald was dead, those in support of his death penalty threw Halloween candy up in the air and at the demonstrators while they yelled trick-or-treat at the top of their lungs. So for those wondering, Timothy's mom filed for divorce very early on in this case and eventually remarried. Her and her husband raised Elizabeth together and he actually went on to legally adopt her. Danae never had any idea that Ronald had not only planned to kill the kids, but had no idea about the insurance policies either. So fun fact in this not so fun case is this is how the concept of trunk or treat was born. 
Parents figured that they would be safe from the Candyman if they only surrounded themselves with families and people who they were familiar with. So they began to gather in a public place and everybody decorated the trunks of their cars and they handed out candy to the kids as the kids walked around the parking lot or the park or wherever they gathered. All of this in the effort to make October 31st a little more safe for their children. You guys, it felt so good to be back today. Be sure you're following us on social media at Those Murder Girls Podcast on all social platforms. We have the most amazing show coming back at you guys every Friday morning super soon. But until then, stick with me on social media. Watch for these surprise episodes to drop. I'm going to try to get a couple more out as I work on all of the other content that's going to be upcoming. We'll have content dropping on social media. We'll have announcements on social media. Thank you guys so much for spending your Halloween morning with me. Thank you again to everybody who has stuck with me. Like I told you, I'd be back. Here I am. I love you all so much. And until next time, bye guys.